0: Villa's Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as we now turn from singing songs, worshiping you, to now... Proclaiming your word, which also is a form of worship. Our goal is to always respond appropriately to who you have revealed yourself to be from your word. I pray that we continue to do that this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when we first moved here to Fort Myers from north central Indiana, we came from a much smaller community. And when we made that first initial move, our children were definitely much smaller. In fact, Leighton was the age of seven and Reese was the age of five. And the reason why you see this particular bike here, it's also an announcement for any of you that have young children. Because I want to just throw this out there really quick before I continue. Do you notice how this bike doesn't have any training wheels on it nor pedals? So if you have any grandchildren coming up through the ranks or any children that are learning how to ride a bike, the best thing that you can do is start them off on a bike without training wheels and without pedals. Because the hardest thing to do on a bike is to balance the bike. And unfortunately, we put them on a bike, not teaching them how to balance, and we have them start pedaling first. They need to learn to balance first. And then they can learn to pedal. So don't put any training wheels on the bike. They kick with their feet and they bring their feet up and then they glide and coast the bike. And then when they get older and strong enough for the pedals, then you just buy them a bike without training wheels and they can pedal because that's natural and they already got the balance down. So we started our kids very young on a bike just like this and it kind of came back to get us because we had just moved here. Like I said, Leighton was seven, Reese was five. And we moved into, you know, your stereotypical urban area Florida development, right? We know how it goes. In fact, Cole just had to come over to our house last night. Connor had stayed with us and he was picking Connor up and he goes, you know, it's been a while since I've been to your house and I think I had the right one. Well, the problem was, the same problem that we all have in some of our communities, all the houses look alike and they're all right on top of each other, right? Well, we moved into a neighborhood initially when we rented here, and we kind of had that problem. It was a bunch of townhouses on the front end of this development, and the kids thought that they could get on their bikes and ride around the neighborhood like they did back in Indiana. Not so much. They got lost. We panicked. In fact, we searched for them for quite some time. I don't remember how long But what I do remember is this, and this is actually what's important, and this is what I want you to hang on to for the duration of this sermon this morning. They finally found their way back. I don't know how, because this development was blocks after blocks of townhomes that are actually connected. And they found their way home. And when they found their way home, I remember I gave Leighton what I would call the what-for or the hammer. I was joyful for like a nanosecond that they came home safe and sound and then I unloaded on Layton and I let him have it because in my mind at that time, not saying that was in the right, I couldn't believe that he would first and foremost get lost but then lead his sister to get lost as well and really what should have happened here, I should have been joyful. I should have shown my son grace upon his safe return. Brothers and sisters, the reason why I'm saying this to you is to not highlight the fact that I'm an awful father. I mean, at times, I have my struggles and I definitely need to learn But I'm saying this to you because of what Scripture says to us about salvation, when salvation happens, what actually happens in heaven. I just want to read to you from Luke 15, 7. It says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And that doesn't mean that they don't need repentance. It means that they don't think that they need repentance because they're righteous. They're self-righteous. Uninto themselves because of their own work. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. Redeemed by grace. Redeemed by grace. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Technically, this is called the prodigal of, or the parable of the prodigal son. We have titled this sermon, Redeemed by Grace, but you will know it as the prodigal son. All the verses this morning, like always, all the verses will be on the screen for you. So if you don't have your Bible, no problem. You can follow along. If you do, we will have these for you. But we can't forget what we learned last week, first and foremost. See, we examined the parable of the mustard seed, and we realized that God's kingdom starts small, then grows large, because ultimately it benefits humanity. Today we're going to be looking at the parable of the prodigal son. See, this parable has a younger son, an older son, and a father. We can't make the mistake of just thinking that this parable is about one of the sons. There's a younger son, an older son, and a father. So without any more being said, let's go ahead and get into this text this morning. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and draw near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, who was devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have, all that I have is mine, is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning. We're going to go ahead and put them into this one sentence that just defines everything that we see happening in this text. And that sentence states this, God's grace redeems reckless and self-righteous sinners. That's really what we're seeing here. We're observing that God's grace redeems reckless and self-righteous sinners. So before we begin in this text, we need a little bit of background to who Jesus was actually speaking to specifically here in this text. Now, he's also speaking to us, but his actual audience, we need to clarify who they were. See, the actual audience that Jesus was speaking to was the scribes and Pharisees. They would have been the self-righteous sinners. They were known as the legalists. See, legalism is when we think that we're righteous because of what we do and don't do. We're righteous before God because I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I do do this, and I do do that. See, we're working on our own to earn God's favor. Those were the scribes and Pharisees, and that's anybody here today who thinks they earn God's favor on their own. That is a legalist. So in verse 12, we see the younger son be quite the opposite see it says father give me the share of property that is coming to me now I think we can understand a little bit of something about this especially when we talk about entitlement especially in today's age in our country we have a tendency to be entitled on our own see coming to me he says right coming to me as when you die. That's when he should have had his share coming to him. So basically, what the younger son's saying to his dad in this particular situation, he's saying, you know what, dad? You're as good as dead to me. Give me what is coming to me now. Therefore, the father did what? What does it say? He divided his property between them. Now, notice this. What else does it say right after that? Not many days later... He squandered his property in reckless living. That's why this is the parable of the prodigal son. Because to be a prodigal, you have to be reckless and wasteful. Now, notice something else, though. Not many days later, it says. Not many days later, he squandered what his father had given him. He didn't even wait. He made the transaction happen immediately. Typically, when you rush a transaction in business, you're selling things at a discount. He was in such a hurry to live in this way that he probably sold what his father had given him at a steep discount. Now, in verse 14, it reveals that an insult was thrown upon injury. For this young son. He had spent everything. And then what happened? A severe famine arose. See the younger son goes from greed to need. That quickly. He went and did what? He hired himself out. The young son learned that there. Something so valuable that so many of us can learn today. Today. Such a valuable lesson, especially for us being citizens of the richest nation in the history of the world, especially coming out of an era where money just came so easily and naturally, now they're starting to put the brakes on it. But he learned a very valuable lesson. See, he learned that money can't solve old problems, or it can maybe, yeah, maybe it can. That's what he really did learn. Money can solve old problems. So his old problems were solved, but in the process of solving old problems, he created new ones. Money doesn't solve all your problems. And whatever problems that you have that money solves, a new one's going to be right there for you. And that's exactly what happened. That's why he had to hire himself out. Now, the young Jewish son had a new gig. And his new gig was to feed the pigs. He had to feed animals that were actually deemed unclean for a good Jewish boy to eat. He was so desperate, so desperate. What does it say? He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate themselves. In Jewish culture, at this period in time, especially to the audience that Jesus is preaching to, This would be complete humiliation. Humiliation upon himself, but not just himself. Not just himself. And this is something that we don't have so much of in our culture. We have bits and pieces of it. But other cultures, this is a big deal. And in Jewish culture, this was a big deal. He didn't just bring humiliation upon himself, but he also brought it upon his entire family. He would have brought shame to his family's name. And in verse 17, it reveals that he came to himself because he realized all this. In the midst of squandering everything that his father had given him, after basically saying, my dad is as good as dead to me, to having to hire himself out and now realizing, wait, hold on a second. I'm hungry. I even want the pods that the pigs eat, and I'm not even allowed to eat pigs as a Jew. So it says he came to himself because he realized that his father was actually full of grace. That's why he came to himself. He realized that his earthly father was full of grace. What did he say? He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? Brothers and sisters, what we see right here is this. The Father's grace leads to confession. He's on the verge here of actually coming to Himself to realize that He needs to confess and repent of His sin, and He's only able to do it because His earthly Father, having realized the grace that His earthly Father has bestowed upon His servants or His slaves. His own Father's servants were better off than He was. He realized that His Father was full of grace because He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before You. Again, Jesus is sharing this parable with the scribes and the Pharisees. Those who don't think they need to repent because... They're legalists. They've earned God's favor by what they do and don't do. They've earned God's favor based upon their own work. Basically, what they're saying is, I don't need you. Kind of like what the son was saying. You're as good as dead to me. Just give me my inheritance. Church, salvation has always been and will always be by grace through faith. Salvation is grace alone, faith alone, in Jesus alone. This isn't the same reckless young son that we started off with now, is it? He had faith that his Father's grace would save him from starvation. It wasn't until starvation started to kick in that he realized He couldn't do it on his own. And he had a pretty good head start, didn't he? He received his inheritance, but he still couldn't quite cut the mustard. Brothers and sisters, the question for you is, do you have faith that by grace God has saved you through your faith in Jesus? That's really what we should be asking ourselves right now. See, no matter how reckless, no matter how much that has been squandered in our lives in the past, we can always faithfully turn to Jesus because of God's grace. Do you see where we're going here? Do you see where we're getting? He's seeing this in His own earthly Father. We can see this in our heavenly Father. And this brings us to our first point this morning, which states... Reckless sin is always smaller than God's grace. Reckless sin is always smaller than God's grace. See, the problem that we run into, sometimes we think our sin is larger than the cross. Our sin is too big for Jesus to handle. There is no sin that is bigger than the cross. Reckless sin is always smaller than God's grace. God's grace wins each and every time. Again, we put all these verses so far into one sentence, and that sentence states this, that God's grace redeems reckless and self-righteous sinners. We move on to verse 20, and the young son came to his father, but the father's next few actions are very significant. First, what, is, what does the father do? The father ran to greet his youngest son. First century, Middle Eastern men did not run. They don't run. They don't run because they have tunics that go to the ground. They have tunics that go to the ground for a few reasons. One reason is because well, it shows off their nobility. The more noble they are, the more glamorous their tunic would be. And a glamorous tunic needs to be shown off all the way to the ground. And it's kind of hard to run in a tunic. So they didn't run for that reason. But there's another reason why they didn't run. And there's another reason why they wore the tunic. They wore the tunic because in this culture, it was shameful to expose your legs. Now, I don't want to throw my wife underneath the bus, but this is reminding me of, you know winter. You know how it is, ladies. Winter, you kind of take a little bit of a break. Summertime comes and you you know what I'm talking about, right? You know how it goes. They didn't want to expose their legs. It was shameful for his father to expose his legs. And what does he do? He runs to greet his son. In fact, it's widely known that they would never have done this. So this isn't like something that's just like secret knowledge. This is common knowledge to that day and time. But before we continue, we must understand a very important Jewish custom. And I want to just read this from Kenneth Bailey. He's actually the author of the book, The Cross and the Prodigal. And this is what he said. And we need to understand this Jewish custom. I thought he did a great job of explaining this. He said, if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles, and then returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called a kizaha. They would break a large pot in front of him and yell, you are now cut off from your people. The community would totally reject him. Church, because the father ran to the son... Basically what we're seeing is that the father got to the son before the community did. The father shamed himself so the community wouldn't shame his own son. He knew he could come back because of that reason. He knew growing up in this home that his father was full of grace. So much so that he would shame himself And spare his own son. In essence, the father would have taken this shame all upon himself. And in true repentance, the son makes good on his promise from verse 18 and verse 21. What does he say? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, in verse 22, what do we see the father do immediately after his youngest son's repentance? There's something that happens in verse 22 that his father does immediately. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. His response to his youngest son, is repentance would be to throw him a party. Just so, I tell you, what did we say earlier from Luke 15? Just so, I tell you, what happens when somebody comes to salvation? What do they do in heaven? They celebrate, right? Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. First, first he extends his grace by taking on his youngest son's shame. Then he extends his grace in order to celebrate his repentance. Brothers and sisters, the Father's behavior is quite remarkable if you ask me. Think about what I shared with you at the outset. The Father's grace is quite remarkable. But for as remarkable as his behavior is, this should sound pretty familiar to us believers now, shouldn't it? I think this sounds similar to... Something else that's happened in history. Who do you think Jesus is really talking about when he's speaking to these scribes and Pharisees? Who do you think Jesus is really referring to in this parable as he's telling these legalists how one comes to a saving faith, how one receives eternal life? Who do you think Jesus is really talking about? Himself. Jesus is describing what He has done for all of humanity, and He's using it in this parable. In just a short amount of time, Jesus Himself was going to go to the cross. Jesus Himself was going to be shamed and humiliated. Jesus Himself was going to die, be buried, and then resurrected from the grave so we can have faith in Him for our sin that He took upon Himself. He who knew no sin became sin. Just like that father ran to his son before he could even get into the village. He met his son before others could put shame on him. That's what Jesus has done for us. See, Jesus basically ran to the cross by lifting his proverbial tunic, exposing his legs. For your sin, for my sin, and for the sin of the world. And really, what we could say when we know that is true, we could say this. We could say that Jesus was shamed so that we could be saved. Jesus was shamed so that we could be saved. Those are in your notes there on your sheet. That is our point number two. Jesus was shamed so that we could be saved. We don't look at it like that, though, do we? We simplify it a little too much sometimes. We think salvation is just because, well, I believe in God. Or, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No. You have to understand that the guilt of your sin was placed upon Him. He was shamed so that we could be saved. Again, our main idea this morning states this, God's grace redeems reckless and self-righteous sinners. And speaking of self-righteous sinners, we get on with verse 25 and 27. See, the older son was where the younger son should have been the whole time. The younger son, again, he asked for the inheritance and then went off and squandered it immediately. While well, the older son stayed back and worked in the fields and obeyed his father. See, I find it interesting that he stumbled upon the celebration, though. That's what we see right here in these verses. It wasn't like his father came to him and said, Son, we're throwing a party. Your brother is back. No, In fact, he had to walk back in to realize that a party was actually going on. You know what that tells us? That tells us that the older son really didn't have a good relationship with the father. Because if he would have had a proper relationship with his father, then his father wouldn't have had, or he wouldn't have had to walk back in from the field to realize that a celebration was actually happening. But how is this possible? How is this possible, especially if the Father represents Jesus in this parable? If we know that Jesus is who the Father is in this parable, how is this even possible? Well, see, we have to remember who Jesus' audience actually was. He was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, the legalists, those who didn't actually need God. They didn't need God because they were good on their own. And that's another mistake that most of humanity makes. We've tricked and fooled ourselves into thinking that we're good people. I had somebody the other day tell me that I was a good guy. He obviously doesn't know my wife. But I had to respond to him and said, on my own, no, I'm not. And I shared with him first that I was a believer, and he goes, oh, I am too. And I said, the only thing good in me is the Holy Spirit because of my faith in Christ. And I say this all the time, and I I know you guys love to remind me of when I say it, especially when I get called out for saying this. But it's the truth, and we should all have this attitude. I don't trust myself. I mean, if we start trusting ourselves, we're in trouble. I'm not good on my own, but humanity says, well, I'm a good person. And then, therefore, you start doing more good than bad in order to please God. It doesn't work like that. Heaven doesn't celebrate our salvation because of what we did. Heaven celebrates our salvation because of what Jesus did. What Jesus is doing and what Jesus will do into the future. Jesus is not done. He is actively working out salvation as we speak. Legalists have no relationship with Jesus they are righteous unto themselves. And in verse 28 through 30 we see the revelation of another legalist, see? The older son. The older son in verse 28 has exposed himself because what does it say in 28? He was angry. He's angry. In verse 29 he reminded his father that he served him. I served you is what he's saying to his dad. He said, I never disobeyed your command Brothers and sisters, only a self-righteous heart has to remind others of their righteousness. I mean, if you have to tell somebody else how good you are at something, are you really that good? And that's exactly what we see legalists do, and that's exactly what we see the older brother doing here. Because in verse 30, he says, he devoured your property with prostitutes. The older son thought that he... Deserve the fattened calf. Again, in verses 31 and 32, we observe the Father's grace. What does the Father say? Son, you are always with me, and that all that is mine is yours. This is what Jesus says to us. Jesus says to us, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. This is what Jesus says to us. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. Then I start thinking back to how I behaved when my son and daughter found their way back at seven and five years old, respectively. After having been lost, scaring their mother and myself I have to think back now and ask myself, where was my grace? Why didn't I celebrate their return? See, I am so glad. I'm so glad that my salvation is not based on my good works. I can't even celebrate the safe return of my own son and my own daughter. And what did they do? What did they do? They accidentally got lost. And look at us. Yeah, sometimes we accidentally sin, but sometimes we sin on purpose. And our Father still receives us with grace. Stephen Cole, he has this awesome illustration. He said, like a parent putting their child in front of a mirror. I know some of us have had our grandbabies or our own children or nieces or nephews and we put a little child, young baby in front of a mirror. He says, the Bible is like that mirror. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we notice our own sinfulness. The oldest son operated like a true legalist. True legalists operate outside grace. Remember, Jesus' audience, the scribes and Pharisees, they operated without grace too. Brothers and sisters, this parable of the prodigal son is like that mirror in front of a child. We should be examining our own hearts. As we open up the Bible and we read God's word and we attempt to continue to walk with the Lord, we should be allowing God's Word to reveal our own sinfulness to us. I don't know about you, but the more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize how sinful it is I actually am. And the reason why that's true is because an immature believer isn't ready to have mature sins revealed to them. So with that being said, basically... What I'm trying to say is that I've realized that you'll never graduate from realizing how much you need Jesus. That's why I don't understand when people say other people are strong Christians. I don't even know what that means. Like what, you've leave some level of strength above somebody else? No. We all should be realizing each and every day how much it is that we need Jesus Christ. We should be seeing one another grow and encouraged by that growth and then helping us grow together as a collected body of believers. We should ask ourselves this question, especially after what we've just seen in this text, who are we more like? Are we more like the younger son Or are we more like the older son? Who do you find yourself relating to? Because here's the thing. There's two types of sinners. There are those who are reckless and squander like the younger son. And then there's the self-righteous. But then there's everything in between. Who is it that we find ourselves relating to? Maybe we find ourselves relating to one over the other, or maybe, just maybe, we see ourselves relating to a little bit of both the older and younger son. No matter who we identify with more, though, it doesn't matter. When it's all said and done, we still all need the grace of God that leads us to Jesus Christ. And with that being said, we can say this for sure, especially with what we see with the older son. Self-righteous sin is smaller than God's grace. Self-righteous sin is smaller than God's grace. Reckless sin is smaller than God's grace. Remember, whether it's reckless or it's self-righteous and everything in between, all sin is smaller than the cross. Again, for our final time, our main idea that really just summarized all of these verses this morning, stated this, God's grace redeems reckless and self-righteous sinners. Church, we should be challenged. We should be challenged by what we see here to see the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ each and every day in our lives. This is for all of us. This wasn't just for the scribes and the Pharisees. This is for us too. Only Jesus can save. It's by grace through faith. So we can say grace alone, faith alone, Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we close this morning, our prayer is to continue to grow in you, to be a body of believers that is used by you to share your truth with others. Lord, help us hold each other accountable according to what your word tells us. We are appreciative of what Jesus has done upon the cross. And it is in His name that we pray these prayers.
1: Amen. Thank you for joining
0: us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.